This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 305 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Coragem, Bimita Dewormers, and TotalSaddleFit.com. Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Reese. Hi, Philip. How's How are you? I'm doing all right. I was sick this week, so I'm not feeling the best, but uh, that's okay. I'm, that's, that's life, you know, and uh, I, we carry on and we, we do the radio show. Exactly. Well, <laughs> we uh, made the great migration north about, well, last week on our week off, actually. Yeah. And uh, we're home and the grass is green, really green. It was so green today. It was really beautiful. And there's nothing better than Kentucky in the spring, driving with all the babies everywhere. And nice. it's really, yeah, it's nice to be home. But uh, I think I'm still tired, too, from the trip. It's, uh, that's a, it's just the season and it's a really long trip home and uh but thankfully uh everybody did great and i think all the horses also are super happy to be back so yeah awesome awesome well not not not, nothing much new here up north you know we're just plugging away thinking about the first show in may and and working towards that so i was gonna say this this year's because of the pan ams your show season is shorter it's bumped back actually they they, starts earlier than i would really like it because the first week in may we have to show but there's also still the possibility of snow yeah i bet i not bet that it, not that it would be around and stay around but i mean it'd be cold it can be cold enough to to have a wet snow sleet sort of thing that early in may so sure that's fine we'll deal <laughs> you'll we'll be deal good just be to fine. be able to host everybody you know exactly it'll, it'll be, be worth good. it in july when we're all up having a great time yeah it'll be completely worth it okay so I what love we it. Got going? who do we have on the show today so we have a really, really good show. Um, uh, two people that I really enjoy. Uh, Jacques Ballou, she is the author of 101 Western Dressage Exercises. That's her new book. And she's also the author of 101 Dressage Exercises. And she has a fitness book out. She's fantastic. And I've wanted to have her on the show for a really long time. And uh, I think everyone will really enjoy her interview. She's just as smart in person as she is in her books. So very uh, looking forward to hearing her interview. And then we have our good friend, Olivia Lagoy-Welts, who she's been on the show multiple times. She's great. She's one of our favorite guests. And we've uh, stayed in touch with her because uh, she rode in the Nations Cup last week and then is on her way to Europe for a couple months and then hopefully make the Pan Am team uh, in Canada so we can root for her. That's awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to hear what she's been up to and and how the show went and and just how excited she is to be be going over uh, to Europe. Exactly. That's great. So well, what do we have in the news? Well, we just, I just picked this one thing out of the news today. Uh, Laura Graves and Verdadis um, vault to the 10th position in, in the world, basically, um, after that last show at the, at the Nations Cup. Um, Laura of Geneva, Florida, and her 13-year-old Dutch gelding um, jumped to the 10th position from number 20, 20th the pre- previous month for the biggest change in the top 50 ranked combinations and only the second American duo to be ranked in the top 10 for more than a decade. The first being Stefan Peters and, uh, and Ravel, I guess. So, yeah. um, pretty awesome. I guess she had a great that show at the awesome. nation's cup and she's headed 
to Las Vegas, where we I'm really excited to watch her um, perform and to do her freestyle at the World the World Cup. Yeah, it's only she a couple of weeks away now, Reese. It's only a couple of weeks, I know, <laughs> and we'll give everybody a full report from Vegas. We're really looking forward to it, and um, but she really is something to watch. I will say, you know, that very rarely do I really watch a freestyle and think. I want to ride like that when I grow up. And uh, I think we can all say that when we watch Laura. She's just, she's a phenomenal rider. And watching her ride her horse, it really is what we strive for every day. That partnership uh, that, you know, certainly Philip and I, you know, work really hard every day for and think about all the time. And and to see her do it with her horse is pretty cool. So I hope uh, you get to see her in Vegas or if you ever get a chance to see their partnership uh, live, it's really, really cool. Uh, video is also great, but live, it's, it's neat like to live. see their part. Nothing like yeah. live. Yeah. So, so we'll have so. a blast seeing her. Yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah. So looking forward to that. And we'll keep everybody kind of updated on what's happening with World Cup news uh, as we're leading up to Vegas in a couple weeks. Uh, so we are looking forward to that. So, Philip, you ready to jump into this show? Uh, I right think we after? can get to it. I, I mean, yeah. we should also tease a little bit that we've got... Uh, um, Total Saddle Fit trainer tip at the end of the show, as usual. So we'll get to that. And uh, right after this commercial, I guess we can, uh, we can get to Jack Ballou. We all know the importance of deworming our horses, and Dr. Ellefson of Biomedia Equine is helping us make sure we are doing it right. Listen for his four-part series the first week of every month on this very show. I just wanted to remind everyone, if you are due for deworming, why not save a few bucks on the popular Biomedia line of wormers, including Equimax, by Mecton, Exodus, Exodus Multidose, and Equal. You can find coupons and special offers at buymediaequine.com, including a variety of rebate offers from cash to free ivermectin. You can also get up to $2 a dose back for Equimax. And while you're at Buy Media Equine, get your free horse health record keeper, and you can just download it there. Plus, learn a bunch about parasites and deworming at Buy Media. That's B I M E D A Equine.com. We at the Horse Radio Network all use Buy Media dewormers because we want the best for our horses, and we know you want the best for yours too. Buy Media Equine.com and tell them the Horse Radio Network sent you. Well, it is my pleasure this evening to welcome Jacques Ballou. She is the author of 101 Dressage Exercises, and she just came out with a new book, 101 Western Dressage Exercises. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm a big fan of the show, so I am very excited to talk to you both. Well, and I'm a big fan of your books, so I'm I'm like so excited. We were talking before we came on, on the air and I just love your books and I have all my students uh, purchase the 101 dressage exercises and I actually purchased your new book, the 101 Western dressage exercises. So can you just kind of talk to us and tell us how you started writing the books? Yeah, super. And I'll keep it as short as I can, but I, I'm just an inveterate student. I, I, I guess like a lot of dressage people, I love learning new things. I like assembling information and coming at it from different angles. And I had this idea for a book back in maybe 2003, four. I was traveling at that time frequently to Europe, especially to Portugal every winter, uh, to study and train. And they were coming at things a little bit differently than the way I had been trained. But it was just a different way of getting to the same outcome. It wasn't um, better or worse, you know. And I thought, somebody needs to compile all these different 
exercises that various dressage traditions use. Um, so I came up with this idea for a book. I didn't quite envision it in the format it came out. That was really the brilliance of my publisher, story publishing. Um, thankfully, I'm sure mine would have been a more scattered uh, interpretation of things. Um, and they they had the vision for how to lay it out so that each chapter was progressive from easier exercises to more difficult. And they came up with very clear diagrams and made everything just flow. And I just pitched the idea to them. And they came back to me with formatting it in the 101 exercise series that they have. They have other books in that series. There's a jumping one, and they even have a drill team one, and various other ones. It's been very successful for them. So, um, I, yeah, I was fully on board, and they've been terrific to work with. I've published all my books with story publishing. So that the first one was just addictive and satisfying and wonderful, so it, it led to the other two follow-up books. Yeah, that's awesome. I would definitely uh, say that the format is what makes it so, you know, easy to flow through and easy to go from exercise to exercise. I think that's a that's a big plus. So, so they they did a good job with that advice for you, right? <laughs> for sure, because dressage is so complicated anyway. Um, I think the clearer we can break it down in little bite-sized morsels for people to follow, and, and really, the book's not meant to replace instruction. It's just meant for those times not under somebody's eye and, and you go out and you ride your 20 meter circles and then you're like, oh, what should I do now? And everybody up there at some point, you know, they practice whatever they were on in their last lesson and they just don't know what to do uh, for the next 20, 30 minutes they're going to be on the horse. And that's really where the book is meant to serve is, you know, jarring your memory or giving you some fresh ideas. It's not meant to um, teach you a new theory or uh, it's meant really to supplement your instruction and your training. Or if you live in a place where you don't have access to a lot of regular instruction, it can fill in the gaps there. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think a, a big point in dressage is not to keep, you know, drilling the same thing because it doesn't help your understanding of the movements or your understanding of how the horse moves. You know, you got to come at one problem with a lot of, we talk about tools in your toolbox, and more exercises is only going to help that, um, hopefully without you know confusing somebody so much. But but really, um, to keep it interesting for the horse and the rider, you know, because you can only ride Traver, you know, so many ways, you know, down the long side, mm -hmm. so many ways until it's just it's just not going to go. It's not going to work, right? And and then yeah. you have to yeah. you have to figure something else out, and and then you can uh, I think you can progress in that way really well. Yeah, well put. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also wanted to know a little bit about you personally and how you came to dressage and horse riding and, and all of that. Will you uh, give us a little bit about your personal background? Well, I was raised in a horse training family in Vermont, and um, thankfully I don't live there anymore after, you know, this winter. I, I was <laughs> checking the weather forecast from where I live now in Balmy, California, thinking, man, I just don't miss that uh, in Vermont. But anyway, I was raised um, in primarily a driving family. My father is an advanced-level combined driving event competitor and trainer, and I grew up training driving horses and they all cross-trained with uh, dressage and riding. And I think that's what planted the early seed for my deep, deep passion for the equine fitness and physiology that I'm so into. Because we, no matter 
what discipline our horses did for my parents. My mom is also a dressage trainer, a ridden dressage trainer. So whether the horses were in training for dressage or for driving or for um, long-distance competitive trail riding, we more or less train them all very similarly. Their basic training, their weekly structure was very similar. Um, And that planted the seed for me for the value of cross-training and just creating a very well-rounded equine athlete first and then specializing later. And so my early, uh, to circle back around to your question, my, my early passion was long-distance trail riding, competitive trail riding, and I had an indestructible Welsh Cobb mare of all things. Uh, totally not. You wouldn't think she was suited for distance, but she just she shined. Uh, we won. We went three years undefeated. We rode all distances, 35 on up to 100 milers, and um, she was incredible. And she loved her job, and it planted for me the seed for how hard a horse can work, but fairly and still enjoy it. You know. Um, and I, I don't know, I just got the bug, and I've been with horses ever since. I never thought I'd have a career with horses. I thought I'd go off and write the great American novel, I think. But I keep getting called back, and I, I promise myself as long as I get up every day and just totally love it, I will continue to do it, and I do totally love it. So I went to Smith College back east for anybody that's in New England and got a unemployable degree in philosophy. And, uh, <laughs> a really and, useful um, degree. Yeah. I, you know, I find a lot of philosophers in the horse industry. Apparently, we all decided to major in yeah. things like anthropology and philosophy and other other things of that nature. But uh, And then I've been in California now about 12 years out here on the West Coast. That makes so total sense. So now, are you training full-time? Are you riding full-time? What What do you do every I train, day? I train full-time, and I, um, I travel a lot and give clinics. So in 2009, I wrote the book Equine Fitness, which came after my one-on-one dressage exercises book. And what I feel like, I feel like there's such a need in the horse industry for, especially in dressage, because we've improved our breeding so much that, I mean, we just have horses with gobs of talent and, and eagerness and energy. And it's quite easy to skip over some of the basic conditioning that a horse needs and, you know, start getting into maybe some of the more fun type of stuff. But I find that then horses start struggling when we miss that basic conditioning. They start struggling, issues come up. And then to navigate those issues, oftentimes the training gets more complicated uh, for both the rider and the horse. And I feel like a lot of training problems that people encounter, not all of them certainly, but, but many of them could be addressed with basic fitness and conditioning, through proprioception exercises, through cardio improvements, through getting the horse to recruit the right muscle. So in 2009, when I published that equine fitness book, I felt like I really found my stride. I thought, this is what I'm very, very into. Um, so I do still compete um, at the FEI level. I, have, I keep a small number of horses in full-time training out here, and then I, I teach quite a bit and travel and give clinics. Um, and then in 2010, I was invited to join the advisory board for the Western Research Association of America um, without having much of a Western background. But they were interested in my, you know, my, my passion and my teaching for correct movement, good, healthy, fluid, correct movement and athletic development of the horse. And I was, was involved with them for about four years and still am. It's, uh, it's a fun discipline to see taking off in our country. 
So can you talk to us? That's your newest book, correct? The 101 Western Dressage Exercises. So talk to us about what it was like to write that book. That book flowed pretty quickly, and people ask me, you know, what's the difference? And so now that you own it, maybe this will resonate with you. But the difference between that one and my first book is that that one was written for what we on the advisory board perceive as a Western dressage type of horse. And it's a horse for which the tests have been written to emphasize uh, maneuverability and adjustability uh, over and above um, the ability to really extend and cover a lot of ground and be elastic and have gobs of suspension. So the exercises in my book, at least in my opinion, um, show a horse how to do that, how to rock back on his hind end pretty early on. The training scale is slightly different for Western dressage, not wildly, but slightly different than what we follow in the USDF. Uh, so those exercises flowed pretty quickly out of me once I got involved with Western dressage and, and we were combining all these uh, traditions from reining and the cutting world with traditional dressage, which has been pretty fun. But that book is interesting for a number of reasons. It came right at that junction of all the publishers holding their breath and wondering, is there still going to be a market for horse books or books in general? And most of our publishers in this country pulled back a few years ago because they did see a decline in print sales and they were wondering, you know, is this, should we all just go to digital material? How's this all going to look in a few years? Um, but I, I can convince my publisher to put this one out there in the world, and it's doing well, and the print market has actually come back. There was a study last week that showed that even with the millennial generation, over 50% uh, of readers still prefer to read uh, a print book as opposed to on a device. So it's an interesting time, though, for sure, um, which is why I like your podcast so much. It's a combination of, of media sources, you know, uh, of how we can give information and, and learn from one another. Yeah, I think that, you know, the more new new technology there is, the more options you have for learning. And, and But, you know, there's nothing like having a book in your hand and being able to flip to a page. And I think nothing will replace that. You know, um, you can press buttons and, and all this. But, you know, and also if you just want to make a little note on the side, and I mean, in a book, that's just so easy, right? When you're holding it there, you have a pen, you can write in it, or a highlighter, you can highlight it, or some way to to kind of um, earmark the page or, you know, but you, you can't get that on on a computer screen. And I think that, that say, you know, that, that makes sure books will always be, always be around, <laughs> that you have something to hold. So I think, I think we can appreciate that, especially if you got the book, you know, on the, in the corner of the arena or, you know, you can just quickly go to it. You can set it down again and get back on your horse. You can ride a bit, you know, this, that's something that's really useful uh, around the barn. And, and I know that, I see, I've seen the the uh, the book in Reese's Arena, literally. So yeah, I I, I I told you, Jack. I'm such a fan of your book, and and one of the things that we use it for um, is if I'm traveling or on vacation, or I have a student um, that we're just working through the basics. We literally, I like to give them the book and say, okay, start with exercise one, and we work our way through the book depending on the level of um, rider and horse and sometimes we talk about maybe why that exercise wouldn't be um, 
appropriate at that time or whatever it may be and table it for the next. Um, but it's a really fun book that way. Um, and mm-hmm. we've enjoyed it. And so I'm a huge fan of, or when I go away for, to Florida for three months, you know, I think it's a really good guide for people, like you said, that if, if you're, you know, struggling, which, you know, even Philip and I, I mean, all of us yourself, I mean, as trainers and riders, sometimes you think, okay, there's got to be an exercise for this particular problem. And that's the thing. Trainers are used to pulling those exercises out. But what's so great about your book is it really makes everybody think. And really at the end of the day, that's, that's how we train horses. So, um, so I'm a huge fan of the book and I really use it a lot. Like I said, when I travel or I'm in Florida for my, for my students that stayed up North, um, and I wasn't able to, to, be here all the time. Uh, I have them use the book a lot. So I'm a huge fan. And I also bought the 101 Western book uh, because, again, I think it's it's fun. It, I, I think we can all learn from every discipline and and um, doing the show. And, um, you know, I think I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Western dressage. I don't know much about it, uh, but it was a good way to start to learn about it. So uh, I'm a huge fan. I was excited to have you on the show because I was I was like a little nervous, I'm not going to lie, because I love the book so much. <laughs> Super. And I think the other great thing about exercises, especially when a trainer like yourself can suggest a few to a student, is there a good way of, of self-check-in? You know, I think the exercises can uh, point things out for you. Um, it's easy to ride around, as an example, thinking your horse is pretty connected and pretty over-the-top line, but if you're sticking with some simple 20-meter circles or just cruising around, and then you shake things up with riding through one of the exercises your trainer has left you on assignment, and all of a sudden, it can just illustrate for you, oh, wow, this isn't going so well. You know, wow, maybe my horse wasn't as connected as I thought he was, just as an example. You know, I think the value of having clear exercises to follow, in the same way riding through a dressage test sometimes can do, it, it, it's can eliminate things for you. <laughs> no, it's true. Or point them out or, or whatever. I mean, I think, uh, again, uh, there's no perfect horse and rider. And sometimes if you have a direction or something, oh, I really need to work on connection on any left turn or whatever it may be, uh, it's a great way to sort of learn and self-diagnose some issues. Um, so I'm a huge fan. And, and I, it's going to be really fun to see how the Western dressage continues to take off. So we'd love to have, you know, you back on the show to let us know your thoughts on that in, in a year. Cause I think, uh, we're going to gr- grab a lot of people that, um, really enjoy the sport of dressage and they can do it with all types of horses. So I think it's fantastic. Jacques, thank you so much for your time this evening for coming on the show. How do our readers, uh, find information about you and about the books? So they can uh, read previews and see the book on my website, which is jackballoo.com. And there's also a ton of free articles on there as well. And my, my publisher's website is story, S-T-O-R-E-Y.com, Story Publishing. Fantastic. You can also find us on the usual Facebook and various other channels that we all have nowadays. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, and we look forward to having you on in the future. Thanks so much. Well, I am so glad we had Jacques on the show. That was so fun, and I do encourage everyone. Those are some books that um, I really, yeah, I love those books. So they're great. So uh, right after this commercial break, we're going to come back with Olivia Lagoy Welts, FEA writer and trainer, and she's going to talk about the Nations Cup. 
Monty Roberts has been using and talking about CoreGem for four years now. CoreGem is one of the leading suppliers of Brazilian killer bee propolis, both in liquid and cream. As horse owners, we want a topical product that provides superior results for girthage, saddle irritation, rain rot, and all fungal issues, even scratches and ringworm. CoreGem does it all. We also want a product that heals wounds fast and minimizes the appearance of scars. Corgem does that too. And we want it to regrow hair in affected area and reduce skin inflammation, and Corgem does that. Plus, it contains no steroids, antibiotics, or chloride. It is non-toxic. It's even safe when your horses lick it, and we know they will. Used and recommended by veterinarians, breeders, and trainers from all over. Get Corgem today at CorgemAnimals.com. That's C-O-R-I-G-E-M Animals.com. And use the coupon code HRN2015. That stands for Horse Radio Network. HRN2015 and get 10% off your next order just because you're a listener to this show. That's HRN2015 at CorrigimAnimals.com. so very excited to have Olivia Lukoy Welts on. She is a very good friend of both Philip and I, and she has been doing fantastically in Florida. Olivia, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We always love having you, and we were cheering you on last, was it last week? Yeah. In the Nations Cup, you were on the gold medal U.S. team, correct? Yes. Yes, I was with the Allison, Allison Brock and Laura Graves and uh, Kim Herschler. So tell us about the experience. What a cool experience. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really awesome and like totally an honor to be on, you know, riding for the U S you know, and being on team one, it was my first time doing that ever. So, um, it was a, a great practice or a great opportunity because it's a lot of pressure when you ride for your country. You know, if you if you want to do well for your country and your teammates, which I and everyone else on the team did. So um, I was fortunate to get to do it with such a great group of people. Um, first time around, it was a really fun team atmosphere and very supportive and, and good horse people on the team. Um, not just good riders, but, you know, good people in the barn and and so that was really, really fun, like really, really great to do that and really great to, you know, just kind of experience that pressure in, in a situation where I'm not going to say it didn't matter, but, you know, I had three, three other great riders with me. So you could just have that experience and not have it be for the Olympics or the Pan Ams yet or that kind of thing. Well, did you find it was more pressure having not only just, you know, to ride for yourself, but to, to feel like you had to, you know, hold up a standard? Oh, I I definitely did. You know, I I take it seriously, and and um, you know, Lono is this is his second year at the small tour, but he's still a, a pretty hot horse, and so just trying to, you know, produce those kind of results, kind of at the end of the season, and and just wanting to you know do the best you can do for your team. That's it's definitely an added degree of pressure over just riding for yourself. At least it is for me. So, Olivia, tell us a little bit about sort of the whole Nations Cup idea. How does it work? How do the teams fall out? Just kind of run down the whole for for all of us so we understand what the Nations Cup really is. 
Uh, okay, I will do my best. So the Nations Cup is kind of an opportunity for, you know, all nations to put together a team and, and compete. Like, like the Nations Cup here is actually run in the same format um, as the Pan American Games is. So you can have split teams um, with small tour and Grand Prix, or you can have all small tour teams. Um, I guess technically you could probably have an all Grand Prix team, but I don't actually know that. I don't think sure. I don't think it's allowed. No, it's not allowed. Okay, right. so there you go. It's not allowed. <laughs> so you can either have a split team or an all small tour team. Um, and you know, for the U.S. and Canada, they were both allowed to field two teams because they have you know enough riders ranked. Um, so there was Canada or Canada, sorry, Canadian <laughs> Come one. Philip's Canada. <laughs> Uh, Canada team one and Canada team two and U.S. team one and U.S. team two. So it kind of goes like the top four ranked riders and then the next four ranked riders after that go on team two. So I'm going to step in here. It it must have been pretty exciting to have ranked to USA team one. That's huge. Yeah, no, it it was it was very cool. Um, like I said, you know, in that way, like a lot of pressure. I think also just because I was, I'll say, the lowest ranked. Like Kim Herschel is our number one ranked um, small tour horse, yeah. and so I was number two, but then number four on the team. Um, so then you're also like really just like feeling like you want to try and prove yourself and be valuable and and whatnot. So the um, so we do that and we do the jog as a team. And then, you know, we picked our order of go um, and sort of uh, you do it somewhat off of rankings and then somewhat off of like we had the weather play into ours quite a bit. And it worked out for our team the same as the rankings. So I had to ride first because my horse handles the heat the best, whereas Kim's horse doesn't handle it as well. So I had like the two o'clock ride time and then she got the later ride time. Um, And that's the kind of thing, too, where you really... Like when you're on a team, it's not just like, well, of course we'd all like five o'clock ride time, but you want the best overall, you know. Yeah, there's score a lot of strategy, so, strategy going into to yeah, play here. So yeah, so, so all the horses do well. Horses kind of pull like a, you know, seventy-four or five or three or whatever it pulled. You know, it's it's more important that we make sure she gets the highest score possible because she's already a higher ranked rider. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just making sure, sure that you set it up for the team in the long run. Um, so that, you know, that's how that went. And, um, and so you do the, uh, you know, test one. So for small tour, it's the St. George and then the I one for the Grand Prix, it's the Grand Prix or the big tour, it's the Grand Prix and the special. And then they take those scores and that plays into the team competition and the, the Grand Prix horses get an additional, I think it's 1.5. Is it, I yeah. think it's percentage points yeah, added. It's it's like a handy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, I mean, we were lucky because we had such strong Grand Prix riders on our team to begin with, with Allie and then Laura. Um, so that, you know, that was great for us. And then, um, and so, yeah, so then that's the team score uh, off those two days. And then the freestyle is the individual and the, the other tests don't play into that at all. Like the individual is placed just off of the freestyle and there's no additional percentage points for Grand Prix and the, and the small tour and Grand Prix compete like against each other. So you could have a first place Grand Prix and a second place small tour and a third place Grand Prix or something like that. 
it's so cool. It's, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's really kind fun. of a funky format, but um, yeah. I think it works. And I think it'll work for, for the Pan Ams as well for, to allow. Yeah. Uh, I think it allows for countries. I mean, Canada and America, we can field two teams of Grand Prix horses, right. basically. But, but, I mean, there's nations in there, you know, Colombia, um, Dominican Republic, um, uh, Guatemala. You know, they, I mean, they'd be lucky to have one Grand Prix horse. Uh, so they can still compete yeah. in a Nations Cup. With small tour horses, right. and I think that's really awesome, and that really yeah. um, will play into the to the Pan Am games and keep a lot of a lot of countries that can field teams. That's really fun. Yeah, and and I think it's you know I think it's important because we want as many people involved in the sport as possible, and you know it's a great stepping up point for you know everyone involved, whether it's you know like my small tour horse being on you know and getting that practice for hopefully right. the future right um mm-hmm. you know just for the riders and the horses and you know for all of the nations even the ones that are still working to build their sport i think it's a great thing to help build their yeah, sport because so, eventually they will right. have a, a full grand prix team and and you know we'd like to help everybody along and really give the sport exposure and in different countries that are just yeah. developing it i think all that stuff is just positive I think after having a successful Nations Cup, as we saw here, that they will just take that format directly to the Pan Ams, and uh, I think it'll work out great. It'll, work, it'll be fine. And uh, we'll see small tour and large tour horses come up here very soon. Yeah. So, Olivia, yeah. tell Yeah, it'll be exciting. So, what's, what's the process for you now? What happens what's after? What's next? Yeah, what's next? Okay, so for this year, the United States has elected normally... Um, Normally, what happens is you have your top rank, then we have um, then we have like Gladstone, and that would be our selection trials, and then you know whoever is the top place for the selection trials would go on to the team. Uh, this year, it'll be the top two Grand Prix and the top two small tour. Um, however, they've decided that instead of having a selection trial, they are going to take the top four ranked small tour and the top four ranked Grand Prix horses. Europe for seven weeks, and we have um, we're required to do two outings, like two competitions over there. Um, I think three shows are offered for the small tour horses, and four are offered for the large tour tour horses. Um, Aachen being one of those, you don't get to do a small tour horse at Aachen unless you have a large tour horse, so that wasn't an option for the the little guys, but. Um, and there's one required, like the last show in Austria is like a required outing um, that we all have to compete at. So the, then they're going to take take those scores and then and then basically pick off of your performance in Europe. But they also uh, it's a little bit um, that they're able to base it off of scores and. Um, like your overall performance, sportsmanship, like that kind of thing. Um, all right, all right. So, so when yeah. when would you leave for that? Um, we're gonna leave April 29th, and uh, I think we come back June 16th or 17th. And then um, once that's over, they'll select the top two small tour and the top two large tour horses, and then and and probably an alternate for each. So right. I guess it's really the top three. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be based out of um, Gladstone uh, for about, I guess, two, three weeks, um, leading up to the Pan Ams in Canada. And then we'll go up to, 
to Canada for that. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. That Sounds is like so fun. cool. When it really just sees over time, you know, how, how do the horses do over time in different circumstances from Florida to where it's hot and the weather was terrible for the Nations Cup. Um, I know it rained right. the whole uh, terror. It was uh, you just saw I saw pictures of ducks floating at Global, um, uh, and yeah. you know how do, how do all the horses handle that uh, going to a game type situation where that stuff inevitably will happen? Um, yeah. And how do how do the riders fit it as well? And um, yeah. we also you won the Dressage Foundation uh, grant as well, didn't you? I did. I did. Which was. And what was the name of that grant? I can't remember at the moment. Uh, it's the Carol Lavelle Advanced Dressage Prize. So, that was a uh, really big deal. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal grant, and uh, that was exciting. That's yeah, fantastic. Well, Olivia, we thank you as always for sharing your journey with us on the on the Dressage Radio Show, and we look forward to keeping in touch with you this summer. and And uh, I am looking forward to cheering you on at the Pan Am Games with Lono. I know you've had a fantastic journey, and you've just done an amazing job. So uh, we look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you. And how do our listeners find you online? Um, we've got a website, which is. Uh, com, and then we also have Facebook, either just my name, uh, Olivia Lugoy-Waltz, or there's also a Live Dressage uh, page as well. And we thought we'd try and do kind of like a, a Lono does Europe, like, you know, keeping up with Lono as he goes through Europe and that kind That'll of thing. That would be cool, a little, bit of a, a little bit of a blog. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. a little like a little road trip thing with a little video clips and like funny occurrences and that kind of thing cuz you know it's it's fun to see what's going on over there and sometimes it's a little like what is going on and we get <laughs> to stay at some pretty cool places and uh, the barn we're going to be based out of is in Austria and it's really beautiful. It's like on the side of a mountain. So Oh, beautiful. Nice. Very nice. very excited, very grateful to have all the opportunities that um have been coming our way. So Excited. Fantastic. Well, we can't wait to keep in touch with you. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. One of the most common and dangerous saddle fit concerns is the restriction of the shoulder's freedom to move. Some saddles slide over the shoulder blade while riding, some permanently rest on the top of the shoulders, and some pinch behind the shoulders, which inhibits full movement and leads to soreness and poor conformation. Short of buying an entirely new saddle, what can you do to give your horse the comfort to freely move his shoulders and perform at his highest potential? The saddle fit solution you have been waiting for is finally here. TotalSaddleFit.com is proud to introduce the shoulder relief girth. This strategically shaped girth actually moves the girth line of your saddle back over one inch, thereby freeing your horse's shoulders from the saddle. Traditional girths pull saddles up against a horse's shoulders and often over the top of the shoulders. The shoulder relief girth's recessed ends allow for the billets to buckle into the girth farther back to give your horse unparalleled freedom of motion. An added bonus to the shoulder relief girth's unique design is the elbow comfort feature. 
The recessed ends, designed for saddle fit, now relieve pressure for elbow comfort as well. Similar girths can be purchased for over $275. But thanks to the enormous popularity of the shoulder relief girth, we are able to offer them for only $124.95. We are so certain that your saddle will fit better and your horse will be more comfortable that for a limited time we are offering a 30-day, 110% money-back guarantee. If you are not totally satisfied with your shoulder relief girth, send it back for a full refund plus 10% of the purchase price. Don't wait. Order now for the best saddle fit solution available. Well, Philip, this week for our total saddle fit tip of the week, we have an email from a listener. And I think you've got it up. Yeah. Let me, let me, it's a little bit of a long one, but uh, we'll yep. get to it. I think it's all very good information. Um, this is one of our listeners that's asking, she's wondering how to help her dressage instructor better understand how, how to help her learn. She's a long time friend. The instructor is a long time friend of the rider. Um, but they've only been doing regular lessons together for the past year or so. The issue is that her approach is often to treat mistakes or incorrect results as evidence of deliberate resistance on the part of the horse, the rider, or both. Her approach can often be less about encouragement and more about exasperation. She's not cruel. She's just surprised that we are still struggling and I should and I should get at, get after that's in quotations, get after my horse until she relents to her request. My issue is that the, both the mare and I are overachievers who start to shut down if we are feeling scolded. So the more things escalate, the less can be heard and the stiffer they both get. An opinionated, off-the-track thoroughbred mare does not need a tense rider, especially if the goal is fluid engagement and throughness. Her mare and her have come a long way, and the best strategy has always been persuasion. Yes, I know it's hard, but I think we can figure this out and keep trying approach. More often than not, she's doing exactly what she's being told to do. I'm just not realizing my mistakes, but the more nervous that she gets, the less I can feel my own body, and it becomes a mess. She's having a hard time addressing, this isn't working for me right now. Please back off so I can think at the moment. I need a way to approach this with her in a gentle fashion outside of an actual lesson. I don't, she doesn't want to harm the friendship and she doesn't want to insult her. I just need to find a way to approach this so that at the end of the lesson, things aren't just feeling frustrated and not moving forward. Do you have any advice for this, Reese? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I think that, and, and I'm sure you have similar, with your trainer, you know, it's a different kind of relationship. It's not just, you know, I'm, it's a doctor and I paid you for your services. Um, you know, we become friends with our students and or there are times that I actually teach people that are my friends outside of horses. Or my wife. Or, oh, Yes. Your wife, which God <laughs> bless Meredith. She's like an angel. I'm just saying. Yeah, or your wife. Or uh, I won't teach my husband, actually. I told him he has to find another instructor. Um, but right. there are times where, you know, we are close to our friends. And just like anything, I think communication is number one. Um, communication and then really defining the relationship. And that is, okay, right now I'm your trainer. And right now I'm your friend. And... They are different. You know what I mean? My my best friend actually also rides with me. And so there are times that I'm doing my job. And I think it's only human nature to want it to go well for your friend. 
you know, I don't think that this, this particular trainer is trying to do anything bad. I think that they're just maybe over trying because they really want their friend to do well. So communication, I think always talking, I think it's, I think it's important. And, and I Philip, I know you feel the same is it's important to speak with your trainer too. Um, there's nothing wrong. And I think we all grew up in a, in an atmosphere of you can't question your trainer. Well, I want people, I don't want little <laughs> soldiers running around. I want people to, to ask me what I'm doing. And I want to be able to have that communication with my trainers as well. But I will tell you, there's a time and a place to have that conversation. So I think that, that the, our listener alluded to that in their, in their discussion. And that was that she said, there's sometimes you know, I need to talk to her, not in a lesson setting. And I think that that's important. And I think maybe you need to, um, pull your trainer aside and say, for today's lesson, um, I need to, to have a discussion with you. So let's do an unmounted meeting, have a cup of coffee and, and do an unmounted meeting. And and I don't a hundred percent think that that's a bad thing to do every quarter with your trainer especially, you know, if you work with them on a pretty frequent basis. You know, if I have a student that wants to talk to me and, and I only see him once a month or once every couple months, uh, you know, I, it gets, but if this is a really long-term relationship and that particular client wants to talk to you, I think, I think you have to take the horse out of the picture and the two humans have to sit down with a cup of coffee, a glass of lemonade, whatever, or a glass of wine, depending, um, and sit down and have a conversation about what's going on and what needs to happen and what's not happening. Yeah, and I think I just I'm going to interject. Yeah, here jump just for in, a second. Please. I mean, yeah. If you're having, you know, if you if you ask your trainer to take the friend hat off, put on the trainer hat, pay them for that time. That's because right. Because that's a respectful thing to do. Um, and you know, that's it's it's still, you know, getting their advice as a trainer, and and so if you're you know you're going to have an hour discussion, I think, you know, that's it's respectful to pay for pay for that and also sets a little bit of boundaries right that they can't just you know kind of walk away the meeting or or they have to treat it more serious and i think it's that, a business that says meeting. On, yeah i think that's yeah says it's it a on, business meeting in, in both ways by making a, tra- a transaction that 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 keeps it on on those terms you know and i think coming from this i mean i've i've taught lots of lessons and i know what it is to be frustrated as a coach and, and uh, you know, when I was talking about teaching Meredith, there has been lessons between her and I that had ended in tears. And I feel terrible about it, right? Because, I mean, it was just issues we were trying to work through. And it's hard to make that separation between coach and person. And, and sometimes, you know, a you know, get after the horse or get after yourself moment feels very personal when it's coming from your friend. And so it, it becomes, you know, it's very, very difficult. And... I can't say that I found a solution that works every time for that, but but in that moment, you know, Mer- Meredith will say, "Can can can you just back off for a second? Because it's fair for her to say that, and I can and I can go and I you know I stand in the corner or I leave the arena for a few, for a few minutes, and I come back and I say, well, you know, and I can just you know I just leave because we, we you need to break away from the frustration, take a deep breath. I find that when I get to walk away from that situation. I start thinking through things and start thinking, you know, why is it not working at the moment? And, and then she gets that opportunity as well. I come back in, we talk about it for a bit, and maybe we don't do any more work after that, but we just talk. We say, you know, you're trying to do Traver. I, re- you know, I thought that the horse wasn't really giving the best effort. I thought, you know, maybe I thought you were, you know, I'm really, 
really honest about it. They say, I thought you weren't giving a great effort with it. You know, why is that? You know, I think the more that you can discuss these moments, the less they happen. Agreed. No, I think so. So I just say, cut. We just need a break. Stop. We just need a break. Come back or don't come back or or come back the the next time, you know, like whatever. But uh, yeah, I feel like just to keep teaching through that moment is not helping Mm -mm. either person or the horse or whatever. And so... Well, and I, I think you know, it's the nature. Yeah, yeah, I think it it's happens. the nature it of, of the beast. Yeah, yeah. And, and we typically spend um, a lot of time with our students. And so uh, it become you become close with, you learn about their family and what's happening and what's happening for Easter, for example, or, or whatever. And, and I think it's just the nature of the beast. And so there are times where you have to then kind of communicate and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or I'm not trying, but this is what I'm seeing. So I think from a a student perspective, you know, you have two trainers here. So from, from a student perspective, and I've had this with my own trainers and that is, Hey, we need to go to dinner and we need to have this discussion. We need to talk talk about it through, talk it through. And then everybody knows where everybody stands and, and you can move forward hopefully from that. Yeah. And the other thing is, it can be uncomfortable. Sorry. It can be uncomfortable in the moment, but yeah, you know, like every, any relationship, you gotta, yeah, you gotta, it, it is a relationship. And then you add in the horse. So I don't know, sometimes there's a lot of things there, you know, that you have going a on. A lot of issues, so. a lot of factors. And, and, uh, yeah, I think the more that you can just calmly, you know, to move, you know, because I think in the end, I, I have this perspective that it's about for 99% of people, it's about having fun, enjoying time with the horse. And the more you get that across, you know, not going to the Olympics the next week. So just take it easy. Yeah. You know what I mean, deep breath, you know, yep. deep breath, back off. I mean, does it really matter if you get a perfect shoulder in within the next three weeks? Not really. What's more <laughs> important is that you come away from lessons feeling positive. There's positive interaction with your horse and, and this kind of thing. So more conversation, I think, needs to be happening yeah. in this in this relationship. Agreed. I think that's what it gets down to. So yeah, I hope that I helps. Think- yeah, I hope that helps too. And, and I was just going to add in, I thought her perspective on, on trading a mare, which this is a whole nother tip. Actually, oh we could, God. we could yeah. grab another tip into this, but I think her perspective, she does bring that she has a very hot, sensitive mare and, yeah, and she talked mare. about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think she, she has a good handle on how to train her horse. And, and that's what I struck me about this email. So continue with that, continue with the fact that you know how to train your horse and what works for you and your horse and as a partnership and, and that will become an important part of the conversation. So that was what I was going to yeah, add in. Great. That's perfect. So, excellent. Right. Well, I think oh, that's right. about, that's about it for today. Bruce. I know that's about it for this show. So everyone, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search dressage radio show. Follow us on Twitter at horse radio. My website is uh, maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a show and don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we'll talk to you next week.